Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. With technology and screen time more prevalent now than ever, it's vital to be diligent about staying safe while online. Empowering a more secure, interconnected world is the goal of the National Cybersecurity Alliance. The NCSA is a leading nonprofit that creates public, private partnerships to create and implement broad-reaching education and awareness for online users at home, work, and school to keep themselves, their organizations, and their information safe. Today we are joined by Daniel Elliott, NCSA's Director of Education and Strategic Initiatives. In his role, Daniel brings together the federal government, the state and local governments, academia, and the private sector to discuss cutting edge issues and to implement high quality large scale education awareness efforts. Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Can you start by explaining the role that your organization plays in protecting the public from cyber threats? Sure. So the National Cybersecurity Alliance, uh, which was actually founded in 2001, has been creating and deploying cybersecurity awareness efforts uh, for the last almost 20 years. Um, And so our goal is to raise awareness, to share best practices, and to um, empower individuals to own their role in cybersecurity so that they can take steps to improve the security of not only their home lives, but their their businesses or organizations they're affiliated with, uh, et cetera. Okay. So I'd like to touch on a couple of issues that have impacted school communities. One is cyberbullying, and that's not a new topic, but it continues in the student space. And the other is Zoom bombing. That's a little bit more recent in the headlines, I believe, where school boards are conducting public meetings. And there's been uh, some incidents that that we're calling Zoom bombing. Um, So can you uh, talk to us a little bit about how schools can prepare their students and how they should address the cyberbullying issue? And then also on the Zoom bombing side, what can the school communities be doing about that? Yeah, you know, we'll probably never be devoid of menacing behavior, mm-hmm. but I think there are quite a few things we can do to minimize the opportunity for it to surface. Okay. Uh, you know, one component of this is creating a toolbox for educators and students. You know, this, this technology toolbox should have, one, I think, approved technologies that um, educators and students should be using, and administrators, um, so that they know what technologies to use. Um, And also it should have an appropriate level of training and guidance on how to configure those approved technologies, uh, configure the privacy and security settings of those technologies. For instance, when it comes to Zoom bombing, people should know how to create passwords for their virtual sessions so uninvited participants can't join. Uh, To limit bullying, people should know how to limit chatting capabilities for participants or file sharing capabilities. Uh, If you don't provide a toolkit um, of approved technologies, and then once you have those approved technologies, guidance on how to configure those, then you leave it up to each individual to create their own um, solutions for how Mm -hmm. to host a meeting or how to, you know, facilitate a course or whatever it is. And that's a dangerous approach to take uh, for everyone involved. 
Yeah. And so you said earlier the word empower, and I think mm -hmm. that's important here that the tools and the toolbox that you're mentioning, that sort of empowering individuals and organizations to take control of that situation. Would you say that's accurate? That's definitely accurate. Okay. When schools shuttered in March, uh, many school districts worked to provide each student with a personal device so that they could uh, continue uh, their instructional time online. What is the importance of differentiating between the use of personal and school-issued devices? Yeah, I think this question, you know, not only applies to students, but also to administrators and faculty themselves. Hmm. It's a best practice to use your school or work-issued devices only for school or work-related activities to cut down on the potential of the device being infected by malware or ransomware. Um, because what we do for work is very different than what we do for pleasure, such as playing games, uh, where there are opportunities for malware to be downloaded and uh, shopping, where there are malicious advertisements um, that could infect the device. And so we want to have a, a strict differentiation between the two to protect uh, the device. And this is where configuring permissions comes in handy. So for instance, at the, you know, the school's IT should probably uh, make sure that students don't have the authority to download any unauthorized software programs onto the devices. Right? Mm -hmm. They should come prepackaged with the authorized software programs that they need to use. Those students don't need administrative access to the devices. And the same goes probably for the school employees. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it can be remedied with just um, access controls, I think. Okay. And, you know, that sort of blurring, that kind of blurring of the lines as far as uh, students being at home in their home space and they're on a school device, but, they're, but then they're in their off time. And I think the same could be said for even as professionals have moved to remote work scenarios. Is there anything that you suggest around router usage and passwords and things like that, that both parents and just professionals in their roles at home should be aware of? Well, in particular, you know, uh, each router will come with a manufacturer's password, right? And so one of the first things you need to do is make sure that the password for your router is changed to a unique and lengthy passphrase. Um, usually in the form of a sentence is usually helpful. Like, I like to eat ice cream on Sundays, you know, and change mm. some of the, the characters in there. Um, but, you know, the longest, the longer the password, the better, the more secure okay. it is. The longer it takes for a cyber criminal to um, crack it. Yeah, so that's just kind of a basic protection that everyone should be doing. Basic protection. A lot of cybersecurity comes down to some of the, the very basics. All your devices in your home, make sure you change the manufacturer's password to one that's unique to that device and long. Um, making sure that all your passphrases on all your devices and accounts are lengthy uh, and unique. Mm -hmm. Making sure that you enable two-factor authentication mm. on all of your accounts. And a third one, in addition to strong passphrases, enabling two-factor authentication is making sure that the software is updated on all those devices. And so those three basics yeah. 
go really far in protecting uh, your home and work devices and accounts. Well, that's, a, that's huge because they are simple, but maybe pe folks aren't taking time to do that just in the course of busy life. Yeah, stop clicking postpone on those updates. Yeah, <laughs> good reminder. Um, so with respect to safety, specific safety and security features, what are some of the features that a school should look for if they are considering a, a platform for student use? What, is there any kind of specific standout features that would be helpful? Yeah, I think for, um, for virtual platforms in particular, in my mind is a lot of people grapple with which ones are the best to use, et cetera. You know, I think, and with any platform, um, one is evaluating how you can configure the permissions of the participants, right? Mm -hmm. So can you restrict file sharing among participants or video sharing? So what is, how much power does the host or moderator have within that platform? That's really important. Okay. Um, I also think for platforms, you know, can they be private? So not publicly advertised or available. So how can you restrict how broadcasted they are to the general public if you want to keep them private? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think, you know, if you're having individual sessions, how can you lock those down with unique passwords that only the participants or those invited um, can use to enter that particular session? Okay. Um, and I have two more, I think. One would be, this one goes back to how much power the host has, is can they expel someone quickly from the meeting? So um, can they, you know, if someone is causing a ruckus, can they mute them or can they expel them completely from that session? Mm -hmm. um, which I think is incredibly important. And lastly, I think is a really important one, particularly when we're talking about HIPAA and, you know, students, data rights and all of that is, are the meetings encrypted? And so can you have a session that is encrypted um, so that it cannot be manipulated? And so those are just a few I would consider uh, as you're evaluating different platforms. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that extends across platforms you might consider for students or conducting meetings as well, really. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. You may have touched on some of this already, but with respect to ransomware um, and that being a big concern in the education sector because of the confidential data that is stored by a school district, mm -hmm. is there anything around ransomware attacks that you would and with students being learning and having their instructional time at home now, how can districts continue to defend themselves against ransomware attacks? Yeah, this is a big one. You know, the 2020 Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report actually found in their research that ransomware accounts for nearly 80% of malware infections in the educational services industry. Oh, wow. So ransomware is the thing to be educating your employees and students on. And so education is still a critical component of this, helping users identify what ransomware looks like. Um, but there's also a lot more than just that end user education. Um, you know, districts can also whitelist applications uh, or blacklist applications, right? Which prevents unauthorized applications from being downloaded or run. They can limit, as I said earlier, administrative access so that employees or students um, are limited to how much they can do on their devices as far as downloading applications or programs. 
um, or accessing certain types of sites. Uh, making sure that the devices are running security software, one of those basics, um, such as antivirus software. And how are users managing the updates to all of these devices, right? So we, we say updates are important. We mm -hmm. give everyone their own devices, but then how are we making sure that they're actually updating them? Mm -hmm. Are those updates being pushed from a central administrative function or is each individual user responsible for updating? And if that's the case, then how are we helping them understand the importance of updated software, um, of running their antivirus software, uh, of not downloading malicious software and how to evaluate you know, what applications they can and cannot run on their device. So a lot of it is education, but there are some technical pieces of it that, uh, that districts can take or schools can take to um, protect themselves as well. Okay. Now talking about, you know, protecting students. Uh, okay. So children are home and they're learning uh, remotely and they're also just online more, you know, in front of the screen more right now. What role do parents play? You know, they play a big role obviously in keeping their kids safe, but what tips can you offer for parents if they are looking to put into place protective measures? I know you've talked about certain controls and things like that. Is there anything additional that can be offered up for the parents? Yeah, so you know, I'll say that you know there are you know many browsers and um, programs offer parental controls, which are good mm -hmm. um, to um, you know help uh, prevent children from going to accessing certain sites, etc. But that doesn't replace um, a conversation with your child. It doesn't teach them secure behaviors, right? It just prevents them from accessing certain stuff. Mm -hmm. So one piece of it is have a conversation with your child about the dangers of being online. And for a remote learning environment in particular, parents should let their children know that, you know, if the child feels uncomfortable with any messages or images that are sent to them, th that they should feel empowered, right? They should feel comfortable reporting it to the teacher and the guardian immediately. Sometimes in these virtual environments, students feel like they, they're disconnected from their teachers, but um, they should feel empowered to reach out to the teacher or the garden, guardian immediately. Um, I would also say parents should reinforce to their, their children that if anyone at online asks the student for any personal information, their name, address, password, that they should not give it out. And so having this conversation is really important for parents. I would also say, and this is um, particularly right now as more students are home and we're playing more games online, mm -hmm. um, to, you know, for, to entertain ourselves, that parents should probably play the game that the, the children are playing so that they understand kind of the environment that these children are immersing themselves in. So put themselves in the in the shoes of the students, see what exactly uh, information is being requested from this game or what permissions are, uh, are able to be configured within the game. But that also applies to any online environment. The parents and the children should configure privacy and security settings on these different environments together mm. so that they both learn. Yeah. And I'll just say, you know, the National Cybersecurity Alliance, we often will, uh, published tip sheets. And we issued a great tip sheet on our website titled Tips for Parents Raising Privacy Savvy 
kids. Oh, great. Um, and that's posted on our website. And it talks a little bit about some of the conversations you can have and the tips that I, some of the tips I just mentioned. Um, and we're currently working with Educause to develop some tip sheets for uh, back to school security, which will be released in the next few weeks. So I'm excited about those. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And, and we'll be glad to uh, post links and such uh, along with the podcast so that viewers can take a look at where those are on your site. Great. Um, one other thing, video conferencing, you know, has become so, so prevalent right now. It was available before, but obviously has become really, really prevalent, replacing the in-person time. So video conferencing services that students might be using, they might be using Zoom or other, other platforms that offer a view into the student's home. Mm -hmm. Is there harmful information that can be gained if someone who is ill-intentioned were able to see a student in their home environment. Is there anything harmful or dangerous about that? Sure. I mean, think about this convergence of uh, kind of work, home, and schooling. So one, if parents are working from home, they might have confidential information for their work that mm -hmm. might be <laughs> seen sure. if a student is has their uh, camera on. Or say they're sitting in front of a, a window and outside in the window, you know, the blinds are open or the curtains are open and you can see the cross streets mm. of, from a street sign. Right. You know, there is confidential information that can be displayed. And so, you know, we always encourage parents and students both to, if they're gonna be in a virtual session where the camera is on, to really evaluate what's in that background ideally to have a neutral background, just a blank wall mm -hmm. or, you know, all of these platforms now, or a majority of them are allowing you to create a, your own virtual background with just a photo uh, that you, it could be a fun uh, classroom activity of creating your own virtual background, whatever it is, but having a, a neutral background that doesn't really showcase the inside of a student's bedroom or inside of your home is really a, the best practice. Um, giving away less information is always better. Yeah, especially out in that kind of public virtual space. Yeah, and you know, when, when you're done with your camera, it's always good to cover it when not in use. Um, some laptops are now building in um, the ability to cover the camera into the actual device itself. Um, but if you don't have that capability, put a post-it note or a piece of tape over the camera, but just cover it when you're not using it. Um, because there have been instances of cyber criminals who have been able to tap into your laptop or device uh, or toy that has a camera, so many, so many things have cameras, and be able yeah. to look into the child's bedroom or look into your home. So it's always good to just turn that functionality off or block it when you're not using it. Yeah, boy, that's a scary threat right there, what you oh, just yeah. outlined. So you mentioned that you have some tips coming out, and I'm certain that your website may be the place where you've got a lot of resources available. Can you tell us how viewers can access your website? Where does that live? Yeah, so the National Cybersecurity Alliance's website is staysafeonline.org. And in the top right corner, there's a, an orange button called Resources Library, and that's where um, individuals can really access all of the tip sheets and infographics that we 
um, make available. All of it is free and open to the public. Um, and you know, schools themselves can take these resources and co-brand them and repurpose them for their own communities and push them out. Uh, we also co-lead National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which is coming up this October. It's recognized every October. And each year we run a champions program and it's now open. And I encourage each school and district to sign up as champions. And what, they, what that involves is receiving a champions toolkit full of great resources that they can use to spread awareness to their different communities in October. And again, it's completely free and um, it's just to promote cybersecurity awareness across the country. And so uh, it's in collaboration with the federal government, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And, um, but yeah, you can learn more about all the Champions Program, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and all of our resources at staysafeonline.org. And key that you mentioned is that this is all free and schools can use this uh, as, they, as they would. They can right. distribute it to their community. Is that correct? That's correct. Awesome. That's great. Well, I really want to thank you for giving such important information and, and joining us on this episode. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. This episode is brought to you in part by the ECG Group and Tremco Roofing and Building Maintenance. Visit our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and past episodes. Subscribe, share, and follow us on social media so you can stay tuned to the new topics and interviews during these bi-weekly podcasts. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.